0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to our first ever Truly Digital After Dark. Before we start, though, we wanted to just share some words from our sponsors who are supporting today's event. Let's hear from those guys now.
1: Hi there. We're delighted today to be sponsoring the LiveNFS After Dark event. So to introduce who we are, user testing is a market-leading platform for gaining consumer insights at scale. With over 1.5 million people worldwide on our on-demand global panel, you can get fast feedback within an hour to use at all of your key stages throughout your research, your product build, and your marketing campaigns. We work with some of the most innovative and successful fintechs in the world, helping them build customer empathy through listening to real human insight, which drives next-level customer experience and overall business success. We're delighted today to be offering everyone a free trial of the user testing platform. So please do look at the link in your emails. Feel free to contact me at the email address you can see here, and I'm happy to answer any questions. So enjoy the event, and I look forward to seeing you all in the breakout rooms later on. Thank you.
2: Hello, I'm Joe Blumerdahl, strategist at MyTech Systems. And it's really fantastic to be here, although we're virtually. And obviously, we're delighted to be continuing our association with 11FS and the FinTech Insider. So who exactly is MyTech? Well, is an Nasdaq listed company that builds the most advanced identity verification technologies. And really, that is to create certainty in the uncertain world. Personally, I believe we're here to help build trust. Trust in the digital world, a world that's not so easy to do business in, especially if you're not face-to-face. And all of that's about balancing customer experience, risk, and regulation – And if you don't get that right, it does come with some fatal consequences as we've seen recently. We're looking forward to having deeper conversations today with industry leaders. Many of you are here now taking part in the first virtual after dark. So welcome everybody, let's get started.
0: Fantastic, hello everybody and welcome to FinTech Insider After Dark. My name is David Breer and I'm joined virtually, of course, by my colleague and co-host, Mr. Jason Bates. I mean, it's been a pretty busy week, I have to say, all the way around, isn't it? But what we're trying to do tonight, I mean, it's going to be a really interesting show, I think. This is going to be our first truly digital after dark. We're going to be taking advantage of our current situation where our audience sadly can't be in front of us tonight. This allows us, though, to make the event fully online and bring you guys A really interesting international set of guests. Uh, Speaking of which, the guests tonight, we have Anne Bowden, who is the CEO of UK Challenge Bank Starling. Uh, We have Nick Ogden, who is a founder of Clearbank, RTGS, and an abundance of other things that's happening. And we have Maya Bittner, who is the voice of the member at US Challenger Bank Chime. It's going to be a super interesting show. And what we're going to be doing is exploring what being truly digital actually means and what that looks like in financial services, both in terms of the businesses products, services created, uh, but also the future of the FS workplace. This is something that is changing really dramatically. I mean, by now, you guys, if you know anything about 11FS, you know that we believe that digital financial services is only 1% finished. So we really want to take a look at how far we've come to date, especially recently as the the pandemic has sped up so dramatically. But also, is there really so much more left to do? Uh, unfortunately like other events sadly you guys are going to have to supply your own drinks at this stage but please do join me for a beer settle in for a fun event uh, and learn a little bit more about this uh, evening of fintech that we've set out for you guys um so without any further ado we'd like to reveal our first guest joining us tonight we have the one and only Anne Bowden CEO and founder of Starling Bank.
3: Hi David.
0: Welcome to the show Anne how are you doing?
3: Great. And thank you for welcoming me to the Truly Digital After Dark. Well, very, very sort of innovative process.
0: Well, I was going to say, it's, it's one of these ones that, I mean, you're no stranger to, to sort of being truly digital. So uh, and actually, I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, obviously, there's a, a, a pretty international audience of this. I mean, you, you've you had quite a illustrious career, both actually in challenges like you are with Starling, but, but actually incumbent banks as well. So, I mean, what does truly digital mean to you in that sense?
3: Um, truly digital. If you talk about digital, you're not digital at all. If you have a chief digital officer, uh, you're you're definitely not digital. Um, It's a bit like, if I say, I'm going to message you, I'm going to use some sort of instant message tool, and the people that are not into new tech um, will actually say, I'm going to send you an electronic message, just in case they meant um, run down the post office and post you a mail or something. Um, So, Talking about digital means that you're not really a digital person. And it's worth giving some context to why, you know, we as the um, digital banks call ourselves digital. It was actually a dinner um, a couple of years ago, and a couple of us were sitting around having dinner talking about uh, new banks. And somebody said, what are we going to call ourselves? Are we going to call ourselves a neobank? Are we going to call ourselves a challenger bank? And we didn't like the word challenger bank. It suggested that we're going to be challenging for an awful long time. And as you know, most of us have won that battle. So digital bank was a compromise. But we don't talk about digital installing because everything we do is digital. We don't need to call it out.
0: And that, I think, is the, the differentiation, isn't it? Like you say, if everything is digital, then you don't actually need it at that stage to define it as digital, isn't it? But Jason, what do you think? It, it feels like there's so many CDOs out there and so many people who are kind of looking at digital strategies when actually, I think to Anne's point, everything is digital and therefore strategy is digital by means, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess we use the term with, uh, with clients. And I agree with Anne, like what startup really talks about agile or about digital? I mean, it's just how you do things. Straight through processing, what a great banking term that is. Like, what start, like that's just obvious to how it is. I think how the, the way we use it with clients is to talk about it, the difference between digitizing and something that's digital. Because it's really easy to take what's been done before, the passbook, the statement, put that on a phone. You say you've got an app, and now we're digital, you know, great, you know, job done. And I think there's been a certain way of doing business in most industries for the last what 50 years. Markets have found the sort of the best, the optimal business and operating models within certain constraints. Um, but technology has changed those constraints in terms of economics with near zero cost distribution and much lower marginal costs and what you can deliver sort of intelligent services rather than just just accessing some dumb commodity products so um so we often talk about you know newspapers they were great you know great as a physical thing then someone put them on an ipad with a nice page curl and it was like digital news it's amazing and of course then Facebook and BuzzFeed and everything else comes along and newspapers crater. Or, you know, you sell uh, albums uh, and you distribute these pieces of plastic or these tapes or whatever, and then you can sell albums on iTunes. But really, who wants to buy 12 tracks, 10 of which you're not going to listen to? You know, Spotify suddenly completely changes that. So uh, I'd love to not use it, but I think it's that so many people mistake this digitizing what came before, for digital. And you almost have to kind of help them through the, no, no, it's not just what you've done before with a different channel. It's something totally different.
0: Definitely. I mean, there's going to be CDOs watching this and listening to this right now who are are slightly seething. So I'm sure we'll get some good questions on that later on. But uh, all right, let's bring on our second guest though, because actually... As we bring more people into this, we can answer more questions. It's time to bring our second guest. Please welcome the father of e-commerce himself. And actually, I mean, many other fintechs besides that, including ClearBank and now RTGS, it's Mr. Nick Ogden. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing very well, David. Hi, Jason. How are you, How are you all? Hi. Very good. Very busy, I have to say. I mean, you, you've been creating, I mean, digital businesses since you started with WorldPay, right? So, I mean, could you tell us a little bit more about, I mean, particularly sort of in the present where you are now with, with RTGS, um, do you think the term truly digital is is a part of what you've
5: done or have you just been building businesses in terms of the sense? I think it's quite interesting. I mean, 26 years ago, none of us were truly digital anything because it hadn't started. Um, and so if you put that into context you know that's in our lives a very very short period of time Um, I think that uh, and I I remember back having a conversation with Jim Clark the guy who founded Netscape for those of you remember those browsers and he was sort of saying you know an internet year is three months because innovation and development was occurring so quickly between about 1995 and 2000 then we all started to get it we got high speed internet or higher speed internet um, and you know I think the digital revolution, if that's the right word, started to occur then. But if I look at it all, it's really all about how you engage with customers in a different way. Uh, we, we've moved from a situation where we used to transact with businesses within a thirty-mile radius to transacting with businesses around the planet easily. You know, tonight we're doing this—you know, this conference—you know, uh, after dark um, from different parts of the planet easily because it's, it's, it's truly digital. Uh, And I think one of the things that um, some of the businesses in financial services have to a degree missed is that it's customer service and the way that you engage with your customers and the way that you can actually communicate with your customers and engage with them with your products and services in a completely different way is the opportunity. And I do agree with you guys that I think we're 1% of the way there. But that having been said, the same effect that we had between 1995 and 2000 when, you know, that was the internet super bubble before the, you know, the dot-com boom and bust uh, era, is we're probably back in that because we're going through a global pandemic. Um, Everybody on the planet, whether they wanted to or not, has been exposed to video and digital technologies over the course of the last five months. The way that we work is changing, and I don't think we'll change back. Um, the way that you know we are going to build our businesses, direct our businesses, communicate with our teams, communicate with our customers is as it is now and that 's a massive opportunity and that is what 's becoming truly
0: digital it 's interesting isn 't it I mean as you say it 's when you start needing different nomenclature around digital to What people have pretended has been these things for a long period of time. And, you know, we uh, and uh, we'll we'll sort of unpick this a little bit further on. But, you know, what people say digital is and what the reality of the potential is, is so far apart, isn't
5: it? No, it it is huge. And, you know, people say, oh, all the opportunities have gone. I mean, you know, in the early days, of the Internet is you can't do anything because Microsoft and Google will do it first. Mm that's never really been the case you know i think there's more opportunities now as a consequence of the forced change of lifestyle that we're all going through than there have been for a number of years it's just you know having the balls frankly to embrace them and try and build a business out of it and make sure as like i said you know that the customers you're you're trying to get uh, get access to understand very very simply and quickly you know what you're offering And then you've got to continue to innovate. You can't just do something and wait. Sounds
0: good. I mean, let's let's complete our lineup though before we get too far into this, because this might turn into the marathon, truly digital event where we just talk like. 10 straight hours talking about what we think these things are in terms of where, but let's get, before finally, we sort of really get into the debate, let's get Maya Bittner on. I know obviously we've got a lot of a a European audience for this, but for anybody who doesn't know Chime, a really amazing challenger over in in the U S doing really interesting things, both in terms of the customer side of things, but actually from a technological perspective as well. So, I mean, Maya, you guys are really one of the first digital challenges in the U S in terms of this wave of change. Um, Tell us a little bit more about your background, because, I mean, we touched on this offline a second ago. I mean, you're an engineer by trade.
1: Sure. So my background is in engineering. And I think because of that, I'm actually a little bit less enamored with the idea of digital uh, than a lot of people are. You know, computers are not magic.
3: Uh,
1: In fact, they're quite dumb. They're almost catastrophically dumb. And so what computers are really good at, right, is they're really good at doing very simple, basic operations, and they will only do exactly what you tell them to do. And the strength really comes from, it's basically free to have them do this nearly an infinite number of times in an infinite number of different types. And so from my perspective, both in my career, so I have an entrepreneurial background starting uh, tech companies, and now at Chime, is really, okay, given that we can do very simple tasks, but a nearly infinite number of them, how do we use that to create better customer experiences? And Mm -hmm. I think you see that at time, right? So we are using this ability to deliver people. Our government sent everyone stimulus checks for the current pandemic. And we were able to deliver them five days early using digital means as well as in the rest of my career. So we did really fun integrations across the world. One of my favorite things I built was I had this jewelry subscription jewelry company and What I built is that you could comment on one of our Instagram photos and you could say hashtag wishlist on that photo. And that piece of jewelry would show up at your door the next week through a bunch of integrations that we built there. And so I think it's like being creative about, um, you know, Jason was kind of saying this, like digital is not just taking what we have today and bringing it online. But let's be more expansive. Let's imagine new opportunities. Let's imagine new collaborations. It's not just we're not just saying, okay, well, we took a bank and because we don't have branches, it's cheaper for us to operate. And so we're not going to charge people fees. You know, it, it gets more interesting than that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, all of you from a guest perspective must have bumped into this. Uh, you know, actually, and describing what you were wanting to do with Starling to people who were traditional bankers. I mean, like that must have been quite a difficult thing in its, in its first place to get their head around what digital really could be.
3: Yeah, I, I think that when I started Starling, it was a question of I'd done a lot of work looking at how the big banks, traditional banks, were going to so-called do digital and decided that they got the wrong end of the stick somehow and um, they hadn't addressed the business model changes they were just doing the digitization as Jason was saying it was far more about uh, embracing the possibilities and yeah and you know when I quit my job to start Starling and started talking to people around the world about building a new business model on new technology trying to trying to do things in a very different way. When I talked about API-enabled banking, um, people sort of glazed over, and this was 2014. Um, you know, so we've come a long way since then. We've come a long way where we are using APIs. We are using – we have a marketplace of Starling, uh, We're using banking-as-a-service principles to actually um, – free the technology that starling has and and help us to service other industries and other organizations mm. um trying to explain to people back in 2014 what that was um, was um quite a challenge uh, and most people thought he was too audacious too ambitious and the woman is crazy she's trying to start a bank with all these new things in it um, isn't it difficult enough starting a bank without trying to do something with new technology, a new way of doing business and a new business model? Mm. And you know, some of those conversations are very interesting, as Jason knows.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a difficult one to that. I mean, how, how do you think, with, you know, coming to you, Jason, how do you see that sort of shaping out? Because, I mean, the industry is changing so dramatically. Financial services is is evolving so quickly. Like, do you think I mean, is the tone being set Outside of industry? You know, is is this something that uh, you know, the Googles, the Amazons, the the Facebooks are are kind of resetting what good looks like?
4: Well, arguably they've been doing that for many years. I mean, it's not that any of this new technology or any of the you know cloud-based setup that Challenger banks are using is modern cutting edge. It's been around for 10 or 15 years. If anything, just different industries are evolving at different rates. And so we see Media and social networking and commerce and just banking is just more difficult it's regulated it's highly important you know people's lives don't take a, a nosedive if they can't access twitter for a few minutes well david's might but uh, but if they can't access their money that's something very different sure uh, but i do find it interesting you know that Anne mentioned the bank as a service and the the different layers of business and it's interesting the people we've got on the uh you know on the conference because nick has almost moved down that layers into the rails and the kind of product engine and's making money at the top with the you know the customer piece but also this services you can then um let other people build businesses on and then maya with chime i don't know about your sort of ongoing strategy, but I'm sure there's part of it, which is, you know, evolving to be an ecosystem player. And that's what fascinates me. I think uh, there's a lot of big banks with very monolithic ivory towers. And yet we're decomposing that into rails, product service, you know, journeys and ecosystems
0: in different ways. Mm. And I mean, and ultimately that, you know, this change really benefits the customers right you know the the level of competition now in the market having chimes and starlings and clear banks and all of these different players in the space actually fundamentally changes how products and services are being constructed going forward so i mean maya have you have you seen that in the u.s i mean i know definitely you know to things that Starling are doing in the UK and different players are doing the UK. The incumbents are really having to pull their socks up and actually get involved with actually delivering innovation and not just talking about it. But I mean, have you guys seen that over in the US?
1: No, we don't see the incumbent banks acting quickly. I think, right, they have so many fixed costs that it's hard for them to move quickly here. And so what we see at time, right, so most of our customers, they're coming from the big banks in the US, so the Chase, the Wells Fargo, the Bank of America. And we see that, right? Because we can look at our data and we see someone signs up, they link a Chase account, they transfer all their money over, and then they close their account. So that's certainly what we see. I see there's so much innovation happening on the fintech side, though. And we we see that too, right? And so there's this entire ecosystem of different products that are providing people help with budgeting, with benefits, with gig economy work. With um, free overdrafts and things like that. And so it's really fun to see. I have this dashboard at Time that I use, which is just the fastest growing sources of deposits into Time and the fastest growing places that people are spending their money. And that's often the first place that I'll see some cool new FinTech app.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's all of those little slices that can be sort of taking out, isn't it? But um I mean and, and there's I mean there's been a lot of um talk lately, obviously, about you know, innovation is great, but profitability is wonderful, right? And actually, I mean there's been a lot of quite pointed in the media, I think of where we are in the cycle and you know, is fintech and is banking really sort of making a dent and making a changes. But it's not just I think on to your point, Maya, and I'm sure Anne, you'll you'll say this as well, it's not just on the individual organizations that are having impact. It's, it's actually the collective change of actually where consumers' expectations are. I know China are doing an amazing amount with customer service over in the US, uh, but really a few challenger banks in the UK, for me, have fundamentally reset what good NPS actually looks like. Uh, and actually, for, for those things, the tail of benefit that comes from those is really significant. And uh, I don't know if you have any comments on that.
3: Yeah, I I think there's a couple of things going on here. By the way, uh, I was interviewed by a journalist this week, and for the first time ever, I heard the phrase heritage banks. So they're not legacy banks, and they're not high school banks, they're heritage banks. So are they going to be in a museum one day? (laughs) And this was a journalist. Okay, but setting that aside, um, yeah, we, you know, the new banks, whether you call us digital banks or challenger banks, we have great NPS scores. We are, you know, customers like us. Um, We have, you know, we deliver new products at great cost and uh, and we're high growth. Um, I think the thing about getting the business model right is that you can also be profitable. And at Starling, we are growing. Our customers love us and we're going to be profitable. And unless you're profitable... You're not sustainable and you can't stick around. And I think what the heritage banks are saying about the new boys in the block at the moment is that we are not sustainable. We won't be there in a couple of years' time because we'll keep consuming VC money. But I think we've got a difference here coming up. The ones that are going to be profitable, that's going to um, be able to be in it for the long term and give the heritage banks a run for their money and become as big as them. All the ones that are going to be simply there to fire up enthusiasm, raise everybody's game. But whatever you say, the new fintech banks have raised expectations for consumers. Mm. They have pushed down prices, raised expectations, and it's given the big banks enough pressure so they can up their own game. But whatever happened, you know, when we started this back in 2014, nobody expected. This big change to happen and it's really happening now.
0: I love that. I love heritage banks. That seems like such a subtle diss. I, I, just, I just love it. So, uh, there
4: is something um, interesting there with how the press is portraying what on one hand are banks that have been around for 300 years, on another's organisations that are really part of a global land grab to try and get as many customers as they possibly can internationally uh, as fast as they can. You know, as as far as I'm aware, every sort of bank, challenger bank, bank-like, you know, uh, Revolut player, you know, are making money for every additional customer that they get. But it's just having it's getting to scale to covering their operating costs, while at the same time they're just fueling a customer acquisition as fast as they possibly can. Mm. So it's not like they're trying to stay where they are and just not being profitable. It's like they're spending their profits on this land grab because they understand that actually the the market's changing, and if you can get to a, a scale bigger than anyone else, you suddenly get into oligopoly level status rather than trying to make sure that you can prove that you're profitable this year. And I think there's something different there about steady state organisations and fast growing startups. Definitely,
3: yeah, What's going on at the moment? You have. A huge number of journalists and commentators following what's going on in the industry. And that's good. All our business models are having scrutiny. All our plans are having scrutiny. We have airtime to talk about how we think the world's going to change. And in many cases, we're winning. And, And this is great for consumers. It's great for inclusion. And I think it's raising everybody's game.
0: Definitely. Do you know, I was joking in our Slack group for 11FS today that we should go back to like 1806 or whatever it is and do a, uh, you know, a, a headline from when HSBC was created and how this scrappy, you know, organization will never catch on and never do anything, you know. So, and, and like I say, you know, four years into a cycle of real significant change. And actually, I, I think we're far ahead of where anybody's expectations would have been in terms of the impact of those things. And and obviously, I mean, from Chime and Starlings Bank's perspective, you know, actually from a customer choosing other organizations to go. But I mean, Nick, this is this is not a revolution that's just happening
5: with B2C. This is a B2B revolution as well, isn't it? Oh Yes, it is. I mean, it's just to to go back to one of the points Anne was making. I remember back in twenty fourteen having a meeting with the PRA and being asked a question, where are you going to build this new bank, Nick? And I just looked at them and said, Well, obviously we're building it in the cloud. And they looked out of the window. And it was, you know, cloud technology just wasn't thought about. And it's interesting that, you know, we're now, you know, that was you know in a cloud. We're now, I guess, in a bit of a vacuum, not just using offices. But we are with the stuff that we're doing, is we're doing bank to bank stuff with RTGS. I mean Clearbank was set up as you know, to be a bank to the banks and is successful at doing that uh, and delivering banking as a service. And the the platform now with RTGS Global delivers high-speed interbank transactions. Um, You know, we're moving money between New York and Sydney, Australia in 50 milliseconds using Atomic Settlement. We're working to redefine the rules that deal with the capital treatments of what were regarded as Nostro Vostro were invented back out of times. Older than SBC Bank, and the, 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 there's massive, massive opportunities to use new technologies, and some of the technologies, technologies, for example, that we're using didn't exist two years ago, and so with that and that the change, you can develop new markets in relation to bank to bank, business to bank, consumer to bank, consumer to consumer. The pandemic change that we're going through has just accelerated all of that. I think one of the interesting things is going to be how the regulators get around coming to visit you when you're not actually in the office. <laughs> that is going to be interesting. You're going to get a knock on because your you door wherever you world. are in the world, aren't yeah, you? Exactly. you know. As Anne will know, when, and you know, when we went through building a bank, there's certain things that are expected of you that they are right in a truly digital, connected, customer centric world. It didn't really seem to matter. They were what were expected because the other big banks. They've been doing that for years, therefore that seemed to work, so you have to follow it.
1: its I've never thought of this impact before, that if we're not in offices, maybe this pandemic will be the push that regulators need to understand the way that modern financial companies do business. And I've just gone through, I mean, so many crazy things from the regulators. It they did. were worried about, we had to have a paper visitor log for our visitors to come sign in. And it felt less efficient, less secure. And that if now that we don't have offices, maybe it'll just be a kick in the pants, so that the regulators come to the twenty first century.
0: I mean, I think I think the the regulators globally have played such a big part in the change that we've set up. I mean, Anne, I, I know you've had a lot of conversations with those guys, both the PRA and the FCA, when kicking off Starling. So, how much have they played a part in really what you've managed to establish?
3: Yeah, well, I'm very grateful that the UK environment led to Starling and lots of other banks. Back in 2013, if they hadn't come out with a new way of getting bank authorization, we wouldn't have sort of London and the UK being the centre of this new bank sort of explosion, really. It's just been really, really successful. And, yeah, the regulator has asked us some very, very difficult questions. Mm-hmm. We're a bank. We take people's deposits and um, those deposits guaranteed by the financial services compensation scheme and people rely upon us you know we have millions of customers that rely upon us it is good that the regulations are high Mm. and uh, and we are very very grateful that we've been given the opportunity to come to market in the last few years the question we have is will the uk remain the center of financial services innovation Mm. Uh, we have been pushed in the right direction because of Payment Services Directive 1 and 2. We have been pushed in the right direction because of the Competition and Markets Authority, wanting new entrants into the space. And that is why the UK is at the centre of the fintech revolution. Mm. Uh, because the regulator has responded to these things. You know, if we're not part of Europe, will we have the next wave of fintech Um, evolution. I think we're at the start of something really interesting. You know, the new banks have built the infrastructure, and it's taken Starling a long time to build this really, really solid infrastructure where we can support our own customers, other banks' customers, and do exciting things. But platforms there now. And the next interesting thing is what are we going to build on it? You know, what are we going to let other businesses create on our platform? What are we going to let customers do? And I hate to say it, but I have to use your phrase. You know, digital is one percent done, whatever whatever it is, because I believe that digital banking is only one percent done is a huge amount to come. And the exciting bit is to come. We've done the regulation. We've built the infrastructure. We got the basics in place. Now the exciting stuff comes.
4: But we uh, we can't really talk about uh, regulators without having Maya comment. Because, boy, in terms of state, federal, national, like, you know, uh, I remember talking to... uh, you know, to the founders of Simple and like way back in the day uh, about the just sheer difficulties of doing anything. Good God, you've got ACH and check use off the scale. How do you manage that in the U.S.?
1: Well, I do think that the most archaic part of the U.S. banking system is personal checkbooks, which time does not offer because we are trying to move us into the 21st century. We are almost forced to have a mail-a-check feature, because you really have to be able to send a check to people to participate in the United States, unfortunately. So we do have that. We've gotten rid of checks. The regulation is intense. And my last company, Pinch, we became licensed money transmitters, which is a very difficult regulatory step. We only did it in a couple states because it's a state-by-state regulation. And we have 50 states it's so many states. I don't think people understand how many states there are. And today, like one of our, um, so many Americans are unemployed at the moment because of the pandemic. Uh, And so they're receiving unemployment, which also comes from the state. And so we're not only working with the regulators on a state and federal level, but we're also working with 50 unemployment offices to make sure that that integration is top notch and that we can help them process their payments as quickly as possible. So I think the US, you know, the financials ecosystem is entirely different. I think the regulatory hurdles, frankly, some of our European challengers are underestimating and it creates a moat for us since we were sort of born in this environment and created with regulation in mind at the start
0: hmm it's a difficult thing isn't it like say in terms of that high bar for it it does create an interesting opportunity doesn't it as you say with latter sort of people coming in but uh all right guys uh, i mean i think we could talk about this for forever um i think we all agree though that actually the the industry is in a more exciting place than it ever has been the and to your point, the, the things that we can do in this industry now is changing so dramatically and, and ultimately the customers really sort of benefit from this. But we want to kind of turn it over to you guys now though. There's some been really interesting questions that have kind of come through. Um, starting actually with someone from Martin Ng who has, uh, has lockdown actually helped move uh, customers to new banks? So, I mean, Maya, Anne, I mean, have you guys kind of seen the kind of safety net of, could you just walk into your branch and talk to somebody about that? obviously doesn't exist in a, in a COVID environment. So, I mean, have you guys seen uh, a kind of an increase in applications during this period? Um, maybe Anne, starting with you.
3: Yeah. Yes, we have, um, especially business accounts, um, because businesses, um, you know, uh, needed appointments at heritage banks um, to open <laughs> an account. Uh, and of course, they could do it at home during lockdown with us. Our business has seen increased account openings throughout the process. And of course, we have been highly involved in providing lending to many of our SME businesses. And tens of thousands of businesses have benefited from bounce-back loans. We have done a billion worth of government backed lending. Uh, and we were able to do that in a lockdown where everybody was working from home. Mm. Within weeks, we had a connected card out there, Uh, which was uh, um, recommended by NHS volunteers for people that were self-isolating. We implemented check imaging. We implemented bounce back loans. So we have been very, very busy and very, very effective during the lockdown. Uh, It hasn't impacted our productivity. And that's because we were built for the cloud. You know, everything just works. And our customers loved it.
0: Very good. Maya, what do you think? I mean, has has this period actually perversely been a real eye-opener to uh, customers of incumbent organizations who couldn't do everything that they needed in this period, but could through Chime?
1: Yeah. You know, we're still trying to um, make sure that we fully enable banking at home, right? So we're a digital bank, but it doesn't mean we don't have a retail presence. Like, you can use ATMs. you can People are using their cards at stores. We wanted to make sure that people could live their whole financial lives within the walls of their house since that's what they're doing. But yeah, signups have been crazy. You know, Historically, we've really appealed to this very digital millennial, this person who lives on their phone. They never wanted to go to a bank branch in the first place. And where easy, you can deposit checks on your phone, you get the notifications, your whole financial life lives on your phone. That's been our core customer. Now we see that expanding to a bunch of people who, you know, they wouldn't mind going into a bank branch. But now that there aren't any bank branches to go to, they see the advantages that we offer they see the no fees they see that they're getting their paycheck faster all these great features and so business has been great for us
0: it does it does feel uh, i mean nick even into the b2b sense actually a lot of what has happened in covid has really shone a light i think it, it it's the um, emperor's new clothes, isn't it? I think a lot of organizations have realized that uh, the investments they've been making in technology have not necessarily been right. And, you know, maybe there's a, a need for a significant change. So, I mean, have you guys, I mean, I, I know with RTGS, you guys have had a, a pretty significant amount of inquiries about what you've been doing. But has that been picking up
5: over the over the breakdown period? Yes, yes it has. I mean, I, I think too, David, in relation to the the consumer change, you know, cash is exiting. And so, you know, they're transactionally positioned to really gain from that. In relation to what we've been seeing is that there's a whole recognition now that we have to transact in a different way and that, believe it or not, the world works 24 by 7 by 365, and customers actually understand that their money is in a bank, but they actually should be empowered to use it. So we've been in discussions with with many banks and with regulators, uh, as you know, for a a period of time. Uh, We've got quite a significant announcement, which we'll get to read about during the course of next week, I hope. So the last few months have been interesting for us and continue to be. I think the other fascinating thing is that, you know, I used to live on an aeroplane and, you know, spend months just flying around the planet. I haven't done that. And yet we still had all the meetings. In fact, we probably had more meetings and those meetings have been uh, easier to arrange with far more participants than on a flight and go in the city for you know two days. So I think it's all it's all changed for the better.
0: It is interesting. I mean how how do you guys as a as a panel, how do you feel about I mean the future of work more broadly at that stage? Because I mean I live in a for the international guys, tiny little east coast city in, in England called Norwich. Um from my perspective, having not left Norwich for three months now, I'm running the business in the exact same way we did before i'm sure and you found the same i'm sure maya from your your apartment you know it feels like the the future of work is very very different because of covid
3: this is working right this is this is working for lots of organizations like ourselves. in you know, those digital businesses you know e-commerce businesses uh doing things remotely working from home is very very successful. And that's how we've seen this crisis. Those businesses, those small businesses that we serve, that can work from home, that have e-commerce distribution, are finding it very, very successful, and they're doing even better than before the crisis. But those in hospitality, where they face-to-face retail, are really suffering. And what we have here is we've moved towards digital And we've actually made probably 20 years gain in six months. People have learned to do things differently, and it'll impact cash transactions, it'll impact face to face commerce, it'll impact the high street. And as responsible business people, we have to be prepared to help out those businesses that will have to change for this new environment. Digital is here to come, e commerce is here to come doing things from home is year, It has happened far quicker than we ever thought. Hmm. But we have to be sympathetic and empathetic for those businesses that will not be able to make the change.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Jason, what do you think? I mean, I miss you when I don't get to hang out with you in person. But, like, is this going to be a purely digital relationship going forward or are we going to hang out in person at some point?
4: Well, I agree with Anne. I mean, the digital shift has been accelerated by this new shift, this geographical COVID Shift, you know. I saw the Bank of England making uh, comments about there being some structural change to the economy. Uh, and a friend was recently trying to convince me that rather than a V-shaped recovery or a W-shaped recovery, we are in a K-shaped recovery. Some of those businesses are going like this. Some are, go- are dropping off. And it is this future of um, of very different outcomes. You know, if you're selling bikes or gym equipment or art equipment or you know, home networking or office desks, you're doing phenomenally well. If you're in the restaurant, pub, cinema, theatre business, or you're an artist or a musical performer, you're in real trouble. And so I think the future is really going to be described by a number of shifts that happen simultaneously. You know, we've got this climate shift, we've got a cultural revolution, you know, that we've seen um, around civil rights in the US, we've got the digital shift happening, and all of this rapid, consistent change that are overlapping each other. What happens to office space in London? Apparently, there are 25 people uh, who are employed for every one knowledge worker in and around London, you know, the personal trainer, the hairdresser, the they're all, you know, they're all in trouble. So I think that we've got some periods of significant societal change happening, of which some people are going to do phenomenally well, and we're going to have to
0: protect and look after mm. a large set of people who are not going to do so well.
5: Mm.
0: It is, it is going to really, uh, like you say, exacerbate that separation between those two things, isn't it? And I think to Anne's point, and I think to everybody on the panel's perspective as well, it's actually the, I mean, in startup and in fintech more broadly, uh, you know we operate in dog years at the slowest and COVID has really accelerated that if nothing anything else but uh, um, what, do, what do you think then Nick do you think this is going to cause a not just for the the startups but do you think for the incumbents this is going to create a kind of a tidal wave of requirement for change because essentially you know if you've been investing in digitizing your way to oblivion, then you know, the the ability to really see what is coming in terms of the changes that are there and the necessary changes from an infrastructural and from an architectural perspective. I mean much of what Anne is talking about is because it's the way in which Starling do it and shining that on anything that they want to do. Nick, do you think this is going to cause a, a kind of a revolution in the back office
5: for big incumbent banks? Yeah, I think so. I mean there's a um, one very big European bank that I was talking to yesterday. And um, they are expecting they will continue to work at home until the early part of next year. Um, and that's, you know, one of the massive banks in the world. So they've got to change and adapt. So I think the opportunities for some of the agile, you know, challenger banks, digital and aware banks is to get in there and work with those organizations and help them.
0: Yeah, I mean, those, those who get customers win. And I, and I think that's always the thing. And it's great to see. I mean, Nick, your organisations, Anne, your organisations, Maya, your organisations – uh, you know, the people who gain customers essentially win in this market. So, uh, congratulations for all the things that you're doing. Uh, that wraps up, I'm afraid. And I, I feel like, again, we probably could go for hours on this subject matter, and particularly with these guests as well. So, but that wraps up the very first truly digital FinTech Insider After Dark. So, thank you so much for joining us uh, wherever you are. Uh, please help us carry on this conversation. Some really interesting points that the guests have been making. Uh, come and join us on one of those breakout areas. But thank you so much to our guests. Uh, where can people find out a little bit more about you and the great work that is happening? Anne?
3: Yeah, you find us at starlingbank.com. Come and look what we offer.
0: And Nick, where can people find out more about Clearbank, RTGS and
5: everything else you're up to as well? Yeah, it's very easy. Just go to rtgs.com or rtgs.global uh, and find us or LinkedIn. Maya, where can people find out a little
0: bit more about you and the great stuff you're doing at Chime?
1: So clearly, Chime.com. Uh, But honestly, I really recommend our Instagram. It's at instagram.com slash chime. And it is extremely great. It makes me laugh every day.
0: Uh, And Mr. Bates, where can people find
4: out more about you? Um, You can find us building banks around the world at 11FS.com.
0: Very good. I feel the need to go and buy that domain instantly, just to make sure. (laughs) Uh, As for me, you can find me at David Breer over on Twitter. Uh, Today, with all of the content from 11FS and from Fintech Insiders, at 11FS or at Fintech Insiders over on Twitter. And we hope to welcome you back for more events in the future, either remotely or eventually in person, hopefully as well. Thanks again, guys. Speak to you later.